Well, I invite you to turn with me now in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3. And as we, as we turn there, I want us to think for a moment about a word. The word is ambition. Now, for the kids in here especially, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the word ambition. So for you and for all of us, a little bit about, about the word. Okay, the word ambition has to do with a goal you chase after really, really hard. Okay, perhaps you want to be the best soccer player or gymnast or student or piano player. That is your ambition. And so it leads you to work really, really hard, often over the course of a long time, so you can get what you really long for. Okay? I was looking at a dictionary, well, online, because you don't actually look at books anymore, but the Oxford Dictionary defines ambition as a strong desire to do or achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work. Okay, so that's a little bit about ambition, but I want to think, think about it. A couple questions, okay? So is ambition a good thing or a bad thing? And the answer to that is it depends, right? It can be either a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, a person may have an ambition to be a really good surgeon. The goal itself certainly isn't a bad thing, but we all know that this ambition could be for entirely selfish reasons, and then we would think of it as a bad kind of ambition. Like maybe the whole goal is wealth, fame, and that's it. Or it could be for good reasons, to provide, to help others, to honor God in it. In Paul's writings, he talks about ambition on several occasions. Sometimes you actually see the word in the English text, ambition. Other times the translations will go with words like aim, goal, words like that. And Paul actually talks in his letters, both positively and negatively, about ambition. In Philippians, for example, Paul has already talked twice about selfish ambition. In chapter 1, he talks about some guys who are out there preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. In chapter 2, he challenges all of us with these memorable words, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. <clears throat> but if you read his letters, he also talks on many occasions about ambition as a good thing. Perhaps the most well-known text where the word actually is in the ESV uh, is in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15, verse 20. Some of you might really know this verse well. Paul says, thus I make it my ambition. Could you finish that? To do what? To preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but he wants to go and preach to those who have never heard of Christ. Sometimes ambition is good, sometimes it's not so good. Okay, so second question about this. What, what are or what have been some of your own ambitions in life? Okay, just for a bit of reflection here. Okay? I've been realizing this week that a lot of the movies or stories that I really like revolve around someone's ambition. Uh, just this week, for example, Trisha and I watched a movie that came out recently called A Million Miles Away. 
It tells the story of a guy I had never heard of, a guy named Jose Hernandez. He was a migrant farmhand in maybe like the 60s, 70s. And it traces his decades-long journey to become an astronaut. It's the story of an ambition he had from childhood that drove him his entire life until in 2009, at 47 years of age, he became the first Mexican-American to go into space. It's pretty good. I liked it. <clears throat> when I was a kid, I watched a different movie about someone's ambition. It was about the childhood of a famous basketball player, Pete Maravich. It's called Pistol Pete, The Birth of a Legend. I still own this, by the way, and just introduced this great film to my children not that long ago. It is largely about Pete's ambition to become the best basketball player of all time. And it was an ambition that led him to become at least one of the best to ever play the game. But, but what about you? What about, or, or me? Do you have any ambitions that come to your mind that are current or that you have had in the past that are not so much ambitions anymore? Okay, for me, I think my first real ambition was to be a great baseball player. I wanted to be a pitcher in particular. I pitched constantly as a kid, hence my continued shoulder problems <laughs> to this day. But my ambition changed once I watched Pistol Pete, The Birth of a Legend. <laughs> For the next decade, it was basketball that consumed uh, my life. Perhaps you have some that come to your mind. I was thinking of things within my own home. Uh, I, I think I was thinking this week of my wife's ambition to learn Polish. You might not know this about her, but this drove her for years to get where she is today, where she can converse with anyone, including some of our friends here in church in Polish. I can think of my son Peyton's current ambition to beat the 1990s video game, The Lion King, on my old Sega Genesis. If you've been to my house, you know that he talks about this all the time, okay? And you maybe have others that come to your mind, okay? But this is where I wanna try to bring this into this discussion, okay? Third question, if you, th if you thought about Paul, if you could ask Paul, or if you just were asked about him, what was Paul's greatest ambition? I think the first part of the answer would have to be, well, it depends on which part of Paul's life you were talking about. Are you talking about before or after the Damascus Road? Another part of the answer is to say, well, I think Paul had several good ambitions in his life. He talks about several things. He longed to spread the gospel to the nations, to plant churches, to train young men for ministry, and to do a variety of good things for God's glory. But if we had to answer what was his greatest personal ambition in life, what would we say? His deepest longing. I think our text today gives us the most direct answer that Paul ever wrote to that. Okay? Our text today will be Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11, especially the parts of that text that focused on ambition. Okay, but as we did uh, last week, I want to pause, and I want to read the whole section so that we see the, the broader context. So look at Philippians 3, verse 1, and we'll read to verse 16. So Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God 
and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. <clears throat> but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, for a quick recap of where we've been so far. Okay. First, just notice, Paul talks a lot about himself in that text. A lot about how he thinks. Second, Paul talks about his past, present, and future in the text. Last week, we focused mostly on what he says about the past. Third, although Paul talks a lot about himself in the text, the text is centered on Christ. So Paul's talking about himself and his past in relation to Christ. He's talking about his present ambitions in relation to Christ, and he's talking about his future in relation to Christ. That's all about what Paul says in the text, but why does he write it down? It doesn't go into this kind of detail in any other text that I can think of about what's in his heart like this. Why does he write it down? And that's the last thing, just to review. Paul shares how he thinks because he wants others to think like he thought. He says that specifically in this text. That's why I have us keep reading the whole section. Because I want you to see Philippians 3, verse 15. What is the conclusion of this? Let those of us who are mature think like this. Now, last week, we looked closely at the first seven verses, where Paul focuses primarily on his own past and how he thought about it. That's where he lays out all the sorts of privileges that he was born with, and all of the things he accomplished in his life. And that led into the most important verse of that section, verse 7, when Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And that leads into our text for today. Look at Philippians 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, what I want to do to start 
is I want you to try to compare verse 7 and verse 8. Because I think you'll see right away that they have a lot of the same words. So, for example, in verse 7 and 8, you see the words like count, loss, Christ, gain. You know, like the big words are in, in both verses. Okay, but there are differences between the verses, and I want to focus on those. Specifically, I want you to see the movement or, or progress, progression, from verse 7 to verse 8. Like, why does he say verse 8? What's the difference between what he says in verse 7? Okay, and just start with that first word in the ESV of verse 8. It says, indeed. Other translations say things like, more than that, or what's more, no matter how you translate it. You can tell there's some kind of movement or added emphasis in verse 8. Now, now take a closer look at it. Okay. First, notice while verse 7, he's looking primarily at his past. In verse 8, he's definitely looking more at his present. You see that? In verse 7, we see the calculation he made, I think even during those days in Damascus. Paul had to look after, after he saw Christ, he had to look at all that he had been living for, all he had valued and accomplished, in light of Christ. And what does he say in verse 7? Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. But in verse 8, he moves forward and he puts the emphasis in that verse on how he continues to make that same calculation again and again. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. There's a shift from the past to the present. But that's not the only difference. Because look at verse, look at verse 7 and think about this. What, what things did Paul have in mind in verse 7? When he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. What things do you think he was thinking of? He was, he was thinking of that long list of privileges and things he had done. He says he counted those specific things as loss in the light of Christ. But do you see what he says in verse 8? Do you see the progression? He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. Then again in verse 8, a little later, he says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul hasn't just made this calculation about his past privileges or accomplishments. He says he now sees all things as loss compared to Christ. Christ is simply that much better than anything, than everything else. And then there's one more progression in verse 8 that I want to highlight. It's what you see towards the end of verse 8. It's where Paul says, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. See, there's the progression in the text from counting these things as loss to counting all things as trash. The worth of Christ radically changes how we value all other pursuits in life. Now, just to be clear, if you've read what Paul wrote, like all of what he wrote, it's clear Paul's not against caring for your family or working hard at your job, or enjoying God's good gifts to you. But at the same time, for Paul, the value of Christ cannot be compared 
with anything else, there cannot be even one competitor with Christ. No deed, no job, no relationship, not a single thing can compete with Christ. And this, of course, fits right in line with what Jesus said. Jesus himself talked like this. And maybe the most famous text will come to your mind from Luke chapter 14, verse 26, because it's pretty memorable. When Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And again, I would say here, Jesus, if you look at what he taught, he's not against family or marriage or children. But Jesus said those words for a reason. He wanted to stress that our devotion to him, our longing for him, cannot even be compared with our devotion to other things or people or our desire for other good things or people. Jesus is the absolute greatest good, the one and only pearl of great price. And Paul is picking up on the same theme. And it's like he's saying, I've come to embrace that message myself. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of everything, and I just consider it all garbage so that I can gain Christ. Now, so far, I've tried to highlight the progression between verse 7 and 8, and now I want to come back to the question I asked earlier. What was the, Apostles Paul, the Apostle Paul's greatest ambition in life? We've gotten some pretty strong hints of it, but just to answer the question, it is found most clearly in verse 8 and verse 10. Verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And then skip down to verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The question again, what was the, apostles, the Apostle Paul's greatest ambition in life? Without a doubt, it was to know Christ. And that's what I want to focus on for the rest of our time. There are other great things in these verses, especially in verse 9, but I'm going to wait to dig into some of those until our next sermon in Philippians. This deserves our full attention. Paul's greatest ambition in life was to know Christ. And remember, Paul wrote this specifically because he wanted us to think like this. He wrote this down so that other people would embrace this view, would put this at the center of their life. That's my greatest ambition. So let's do some thinking about this. Paul's longing to know Christ. Yeah. So you saw how he says, knowing Christ is far more valuable than anything else. You see that in verse 8? He talks about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. It's more valuable, more precious than any privilege, accomplishment, or relationship you have. In fact, knowing Christ was, for him, and is worth losing 
everything. There is no trade you shouldn't make if in the end you're getting Christ. Second, when, when Paul talks about longing to know Christ, he's talking about his longing to know Christ more intimately, more personally. Now, and I, I just want to comment on this because it is certainly the case that Paul knew a lot of things about Christ. Even in this letter, Paul explores some of the deep doctrines of Christ, and it is good for us to know a lot of things about Christ. It's good for us to think deeply and accurately about Christology, for example. Like to think rightly about the doctrines of the person and work of Christ. I do not want to downplay those things or those pursuits. But what I do want to say is that Paul's ambition was not academic. Paul's greatest ambition was not to be a good theological debater, though he was really good at that. <clears throat> Paul's greatest ambition was to know Christ personally, intimately, to have a deeper relationship and fellowship with the Lord he loved. And on this, notice how Paul describes Jesus in verse 8. This caught my attention this week. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I was, I was thinking about this because I spent a lot of time in Paul, and I, and I know, I knew, Paul usually says our Lord and not my Lord. And so I just looked this up like late last night just to be sure about this. And what I found is that Paul talks about Jesus as our Lord 54 times in his letter. Do you know how many times he calls Jesus my Lord in his letters? Once. <laughs> One time. This is the only time he ever does this. And it's in, it's in the, the text, or maybe more than any other text, he's opening up his heart about his greatest ambition, which is to know his Lord more. To know Christ in this way is deeply personal and relational. He long and, and, and if you think about this, he longs to know his Lord better than he does at the time he's writing. He wanted to know the very Lord who loved him and laid down his life for him, and he wanted to know him better. That's why it's his ambition. And here's where it's probably good for us to think and to remember how long has Paul been following Jesus? How long has he had a close relationship with Jesus? It's been nearly 30 years. How well did Paul already know Christ by this point? He had written most of his letters by this point. Let's make this more personal. Do you think Paul already knew Christ by this point in his life better than you do? I would, without hesitation, answer yes to that question. I am sure Paul knew Christ better than I know Christ right now. And yet, what is his driving ambition at 55 or so years of age? After four years of being a prisoner for Christ, after nearly 30 years of chasing after Jesus? 
It's what he says in verse 8 and especially in verse 10. My ambition is that I might know him. Now, look a little closer at verse 10. Paul highlights two experiences of Christ that he wanted to experience himself. So verse 10 again. My ambition, I think it's kind of the idea at the beginning. My ambition is that I might know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. I like the NIV translation. which says, I want, to, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Paul wanted to participate in what Christ had participated in. To experience what Christ had experienced. He wanted to know Christ by experiencing in his own life the same kind of power that had raised Christ from the dead. He wanted to know resurrection power, to have the resurrection power of Christ running through his veins, if you would. We like that, right? We would like that. But Paul didn't just want that. He wanted to experience what Jesus experienced, to know Christ by participating in his suffering. Paul wanted to become like Christ even in his death. He wanted the cross to mark him. He wanted to be like like Jesus was when Jesus died. He wanted to be like that. To know what that was like. Paul wanted to be like Jesus when Paul died. He wanted to know Christ in every way he could by experiencing both the resurrection power and the cross-like suffering. He knew he would come to know Jesus better than he did. And that was his greatest ambition in life. Now, it's been a very like straightforward one aim to this message. Okay? I want to think about this and bring this closer to home. Okay. I'm going to ask some questions. They're all for us to ask ourselves. I'm asking myself the same questions. First, what is my greatest ambition in life right now? As a follow-up to that, we might ask, how does my answer line up with this text? Or if you want to ask other questions, say, what would Paul think of my answer? Or maybe more importantly, what does Jesus think of my answer? Would he agree with my answer? What would he think of it? A second kind of category, how well do I know Christ right now? Maybe as a follow-up to that, do I want to know Christ better than I do? Maybe as a follow-up to that follow-up, we could ask, what is, what is keeping me from getting to know Christ better than I do? If there's something that comes to mind, 
Is that thing worth that? If it's keeping you from getting to know Christ better than you do. And then, and then lastly, I want to I think about how do we get to know Christ more deeply and more personally? And in some ways, I was thinking, I just want to end with that question and just have us like, go think about it. Like, how, <clears throat> like how, do, how do we get to know Christ more personally and intimately? But, but I know it can be helpful to hear some counsel and to get some direction on the question, but I would encourage you just to reflect on that yourself, too. But I, I put down a few things that, I, that came to my mind. There's a lot more that could be said. But if, I, if somebody asked me, how, okay, I want that. Like, how do I, how do I get there? I, I don't feel like I know Christ. Like, I, I want to, I want to, but I don't know how. How do you do that? I think one is read the Bible and especially the Gospels. I'm reminded of a famous line from Robert Murray McShane. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. The whole Bible shows us Christ. But in the Gospels, we get to see Jesus, hear Jesus, and watch Jesus in a special way in the Gospels. We get to know our Lord when we get to hear his voice, when we get to walk with him down the road, and when we get to watch how he lived and dwelt among us. Read the Bible, especially the Gospels. To this end, why not come on Saturday to a morning of Bible reading? <laughs> I was just like, this lines up pretty well with that. And, and listen or read John 1 to 11 and watch Jesus for two hours. But second, spend time with Jesus in prayer and, and tell him you wish you knew him better. I think Jesus would love to hear that from us. I was praying that myself. Tell Jesus the desire of your heart to know him. Third, talk with others about Jesus and listen to what they know about Jesus and what they love about Jesus. I, I often think of something C.S. Lewis talked about. He, he made the point that we often get to know a close friend better by spending time together with another friend and them. Because the third person has many experiences and a lot of knowledge about that close friend of yours that you don't have. And so if you want to know Jesus better, get with people who love him and talk to them about Jesus and listen to what they know about him and to what they love about him. Listen to the stories of what Jesus has done for them and in them and through them. Fourth, when you sense, <clears throat> this is coming from my own experience here, when, when you sense the Spirit calling you to do hard things, things that require faith and strength you know you don't have, step out in faith in Christ, because I have found that it's often been in those situations, the ones where I feel so inadequate and so weak and I'm proceeding in like fear and trembling, 
that I have sensed Jesus' nearness the most, and that I've come to learn of him more. Jesus shows up in special ways in those times when we are weak, but we're just looking to him. See, we can sometimes find Jesus even when we're not looking for him. But I think we find him more when we're looking for him. And those situations, when we're really weak and we're stepping out and we're like, Jesus, I need you. Jesus shows up in special ways in those times. Shows us things about himself. We share experiences with him that we will remember. And then lastly, <clears throat> participate week by week in the table as a weekly, it's a weekly reminder to us of all that Jesus is to us, all he's done for us. This is the place where Jesus meets with us all in a special way, week by week, as we participate, as Paul would say, in his body and blood. Now, more could be said about all those things, about this how question. How do I get to know Christ more than I do? But I think the main question of our text is the what question. What is my greatest ambition? Is it to know Christ? Let's pray together, and maybe you cry out with me for that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of our brother Paul, who opened up his heart to his friends about what he saw in Jesus and what he wanted them to see and what he wanted us to see. Help us to see it. And Lord Jesus, we pray for greater knowledge of you. Help us. We, we express that we want to know you more. Help us. Show us yourself through your word and the table and your people. Help us to know you, to love you. You are our Lord. May each of us say, you are my Lord. Show us yourself. That's all we need. In your name we ask this. Amen.